Al Jazeera podcast. 20,000 Palestinians killed in Gaza by Israel, armed and backed by the U.S. and European allies. More fighting nearby too, Hezbollah in Lebanon and the Houthis in Yemen among the groups involved. Could Israel's war trigger a wider conflict? I'm Darin Abogeda. You're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze and help define major global stories. Let's now bring in our guest. Joining us from New York City is Omar Rahman, who's a fellow at the Middle East Council on Global Affairs. He focuses on Palestine, Middle East geopolitics, and American foreign policy in the region. Over in Washington, D.C., we have Miko Pellet, who's a human rights activist and author. His book, The General's Son, Journey of an Israeli in Palestine, is based on his experiences as the son of a former military governor of the Gaza Strip. And joining us from Brussels is Elijah Magnier, a military and political analyst who, as a former war zone correspondent, has covered more than 35 years of conflict in the Middle East and North Africa. Thanks for your time, uh, gentlemen. Good to have you with us on Inside Story. Omar Rahman, uh, the longer the war in Gaza goes on, how likely is it that it sparks a regional war? And I know that this is a broad question, but we'll drill down into the details throughout this program. Sure, it certainly it, it makes the risk ever present. Obviously, as long as it, it's ongoing, uh, that risk uh, stays there, stays active, uh, and anything can kind of kick it off. Obviously, we've seen uh, the northern front between Israel and Lebanon, uh, you know, active since October seventh, and that has the potential to escalate uh, at any point. Uh, in recent weeks, months, um, the Houthis in, in Yemen have uh, have engaged now, uh, first firing rockets. Uh, and now, um, you know, closing the Bab al-Mandab Strait to shipping lanes. And that has a much broader uh, global economic uh, ramifications. And obviously now the U.S. Uh, has, has um, you know, put together a kind of a coalition, a naval coalition, which importantly actually uh, is not, doesn't have any uh, Arab uh, states with the exception of Bahrain, which is almost you know, a consolation prize here. Uh, but those other Arab states even though it affects their economies as well, uh, can, you know, have, not, have not engaged uh, in that effort. And that's kind of important and telling. So, Omar, if there is then a, a regional war, and like you say, anything could kick it off, does this then by default mean uh, more of the U.S.'s involvement? Because right now we understand the U.S. is somewhat involved in what's going on, but how, how um, deep would the U.S.'s involvement be if there's a wider escalation? Well, the U.S. Is a, is a party to this conflict uh, in many ways. Uh, first of all, in its total support for Israel as it's, as it's carried out this military campaign. Uh, that includes, uh, you know, arming the Israelis. That includes diplomatic cover for the Israelis. That includes intelligence sharing with the Israelis. Uh, so in all those particular ways. And then also, as, as, you, as you mentioned, uh, you know, the U.S. has dispatched carrier fleets to the region. So it's engaged uh, militarily somewhat. Obviously, it, it's not uh, heavily engaged militarily, but it's, but it's involved. Uh, and that's a double-edged sword because, um, you know, in one sense, it's, it's meant a deterrence. In another sense, it's a provocation. It also puts military targets, more military targets in the region for others uh, to attack. And we've seen that uh, take place. And so, you know, the U.S. is, is definitely engaged. Um, and, you know, th there's many ways in, in which this can affect the region, not only in terms of war, but, uh, you know, if Israel's intentions is to ethnically cleanse the Gaza Strip, as it appears uh, is the case, you know, that has effects for border states like Egypt, uh, for okay. Jordan, if 
Okay, speaking of Israel's intentions, Miko, I'll come over to you. Do you think that there is a uh, sort of a premeditated intention by Israel to widen this war or or could it just suddenly erupt out of recklessness? Where do you think the Israeli position is on this? Yeah, that's a good question, but I think we need to broaden the lens. I mean, we can't just look at this particular um, at the particular uh, you know, events that began on October the 7th, we have to look at the 75-year history of, of of Palestine. Israel has been engaged in a genocide for 75 years. The rest of the world has been silent, mostly. Uh, the Arab countries have been neutralized, either through destruction, as we've seen in Lebanon, in, in, I'm sorry, in Libya, Syria, Iraq, and so on, or through normalization. And Israel is free to do everything it wants. It's not only America and the West that is supporting Israel. I mean, Israel has over 40 diplomatic missions in Africa, and we don't see the African states uh, standing up for Palestine or, or or anyone else in the world. We don't see the BRICS alliance, um, with maybe the exception of Brazil and South Africa, standing with the Palestinians. So Israel is really quite free to do everything it wants. And there's really nobody in the region that can seriously threaten Israel. Perhaps the only the only things we're seeing is that perhaps the Houthis uh, uh, actions are the only ones that are that are showing some responsibility in trying to curb and respond to the genocide that's been going on. So granted, what's the events that began in October 7th, um, in which, of course, you know, Palestinians were able to 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 come out of this 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 prison, which is the Gaza, the Gaza Strip and and paralyze the state of Israel. This is a, a you know, a heightening of the savagery that we've seen by Israel, perhaps it's worse than anything we've seen in the past. But it's not separate from everything that's been going on since the state of Israel was established. Right, the, you're absolutely right. I mean, the, the context of all of this, Miko, is, is in fact the occupation. But what I want to get to uh, today and for the purposes of this discussion is where does Israel stand when it comes to widening this conflict, taking it outside of Gaza? Well, Israel has got more air power than anybody else. And so I don't think Israel is, is worried about that. If anybody... If anybody tries to seriously engage with Israel, then they will be wiped out, just like we've seen in Lebanon over the years. We've seen, you know, Israel's already bombing in Syria. And so I, I don't think Israel is concerned about that. Plus, the entire world is supporting it. They're getting all the weapons that they need. So I don't think Israel is worried at all about this. And I'll have to also say, I don't think there's a strategy behind Israel's actions or a, lot, a great deal of thinking. I think what we're seeing is is, is revenge. It's just, it's just destruction and killing for the sake of vengeance because Israel was humiliated on October the 7th. So I don't think Israel is worried about that as long as it's got it's it's, it's able to maintain its military uh, you know power, its military superiority over everybody else. And like I said, the Arab countries have been neutralized. So who is there to threaten Israel? Okay, uh, Elijah, let's bring you in. And can you weigh in on this discussion? And, and you know, we've already mentioned uh, the, the Houthis in Yemen and the U.S. now announcing this uh, maritime coalition. Do you think that this could spark a regional war? It is already enlarging because uh, the intervention of Hezbollah from the second day of this conflict and uh, the support of the Iraqi resistance attacking the American bases is sending strong messages to Israel. And finally, the uh, intervention of Ansarullah, Houthis in Yemen, is even sending more powerful message to the Israelis and to their allies that this war is no longer contained in the borders of Gaza alone, but it is enlarging slowly but surely. This is the style of the axis of the resistance never play all the cards. And I think Israel is extremely worried about it. Otherwise, it would never call 
or such a force in the Red Sea to come for help. Uh, the uh, Americans, the French, and the British would not line up in the Red Sea, uh, stopping and intercepting the missiles and the drones launched by the Houthis. It will not continue supplying the Israelis with tens of thousands of ammunition. It protects Israel at the United Nations by refusing any ceasefire. It's offered 2,000 Delta forces in Israel to support it. They have American drones. All the support that Israel is getting from day one is because Israel is weak and it doesn't manage on its own to confront multiple fronts. But not only that, but even Gaza, after 75 days, it has occupied a third of Gaza, but controlled zero ground because today there were attacks on Tel Aviv. Yesterday, again, every single day there are attacks on the uh, Israeli occupation forces inside Gaza. It means Israel is quite worried about what's happening and how this war is enlarging slowly but surely. Elijah, can the uh, what's happening in, in Yemen and the Red Sea, can does this... Uh, sort of change the positions of the Israelis or the Americans? Could we see retaliation against the Houthis in Yemen, do you think? Well, the Yemeni said already, if the Americans, and they are fully aware of that, retaliate, then the whole of Babel Mandeb will be shot down. But is it going to be only limited to Babel Mandeb? Because that will be considered a war zone and no commercial maritime company will dare to come close to the Red Sea, they will all be diverted to Africa. And then the Houthis will launch their surface-to-surface -surface missiles. Doesn't mean they are stronger than the coalition, but they will not be defeated. But that means then the war will even enlarge even further. Because the question is, what's going to happen to the Strait of Hormuz? What's going to happen to the Mediterranean? The Houthis will not be left alone as Gaza is not left alone. Okay, um, speaking of not being left alone, Omar Rahman, I mean, when we talk about a possible regionalization, we're talking, and as you were mentioning earlier about the involvement in the US that currently exists and, and, and could potentially deepen, does that then mean uh, by default uh, the, the deeper involvement of Iran? I don't know. I mean, Iran is in a sense playing it safe. It's, it's kind of playing the strategy it has it has conducted for many years, which is using uh, you know, non-state actors within the region uh, to carry out certain goals, to put pressure in various ways. Uh, so the direct involvement in Iran, you know, I don't know, is uncertain. Now, if this, if this you know, really regionalizes uh, and there's a full-scale war in certain places, then I I'm sure Iran will become involved uh, one way or the other. I think uh, you know, it's not just Iran taking action. Uh, but, you know, the United States, Israel taking action against Iran and bringing it, you know, directly into the conflict itself. So I think that is, is an ever-present uh, possibility. And, you know, we'll see how that plays out. Uh, Miko, would Israel actually be able to fight, let's say, two full-blown conflicts? One, obviously, the war going on in Gaza and then one, one uh, on the border with Lebanon, if it gets to that point, even with the U.S.'s backing?
Yes, I mean, again, Israel's got has got air power, and the air power is the key. I mean, granted, the ground forces are not as effective, uh, certainly not not when they they face the Hezbollah fighters in Lebanon or the Palestinians in Gaza. But Israel got air power. We've seen what Israel has done in Lebanon in the past. I mean, they caused massive, you know, millions of refugees, total destruction. Um, and I don't really see who is the, who is out there that can threaten Israel with a, with an all-out war. Uh, Hassan Nasrallah made it very clear that this is, you know, this is a Palestinian issue, that it's not going to be a, a larger, a larger, wider war. I, I don't see how Iran could possibly get involved. Which, you know, they're not going to send troops. I mean, you know what I mean? I don't, I don't see, I don't see how this is going to happen. And I think Israel understands this. And again, Israel has been working very hard for decades to neutralize all of its neighbors, either by destruction or normalization. And nobody's got the military force that Israel has, or again, the hardware, the capability, the, the, the capability to cause destruction. So yes, there's a body, you know, missiles coming from, from here, missiles coming from there, the Houthis in, Iran, in, in Yemen trying to, to add to this, but a serious threat to Israel, I don't, I, don't, I don't see where it's going to come from. And again, Israel's got the ability to bomb and destroy entire cities, you know, and, and, and again, with the full support of the United States, the full support of the rest of the world. So I don't think Israel is. I don't think Israel has a reason to worry about this. Um, the only way that Israel, the only thing that Israel does have to worry about, and I believe they are worried, is on the diplomatic front, is on the public opinion front, is the fact that more and more people around the world are standing up for you know to support the Palestinians. But in terms of in terms of war, Israel, I don't I don't see how what, where the threat would come from, and I'm sure the Israelis can see that as well. And I'll say again about Iran. You know, I don't see how Iran's not going to be sending its troops. I mean, logistically, this doesn't really work. And again, Israel's strategy of neutralizing its neighbors is working very well uh, in, 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 in allowing it to do what it's doing and at the same time not be threatened by anyone. Elijah, um, look, I mean, Hassan Nasrallah did say in one of his speeches that events on the ground will dictate uh, the group's position and what they do going forward. Um, but for the Israelis, having the Americans stationed off the coast of Lebanon right now, off the shores of Lebanon, uh, do you think that they're sending a message to Hezbollah in Lebanon? Absolutely not, because the uh, Israelis were sending several messages to Lebanon and to Hezbollah, and Hezbollah has been retaliating. And the Americans are trying with the French to, uh, to create a dialogue where they can persuade Hezbollah to leave the borders. But the problem is that the Americans and the Israelis have a limited knowledge about how Hezbollah is deployed in the south of Lebanon because they are the same people who live in the south of Lebanon, who are part of the south of Lebanon, that are part of the society who are defending that front and attacking Israel. Now, those who think, I don't think the Israeli officials are that uh, naive to think that having a superpower with the Air Force, that is enough. This, this is really uh, something in the elementary school. It's showed in the military knowledge, but if we look at Afghanistan, the Americans have the superpower against the Afghani who has not even one jet and yet the Americans did not defeat Afghanistan. The same in Lebanon. 1982, the Israeli invaded the country, and Hezbollah doesn't have jets. And in the year 2000, Ehud Barak pulled out of Lebanon. It was kicked out. In 2006, the Israeli had a superpower, and they had 
the superiority in Air Force, and they did manage to achieve in, in their objective. And without going very far in history, in 2023, in Gaza, Israel has 700 jets. What the jets has achieved so far? Has any of the Hamas member raised a, a white flag to an Israeli jet? This is why they had to send boots on the ground and the soldiers that are on the ground are attacked and are killed and are suffering high casualty in a tiny little area in a big open concentration camp that was surrounded for all these years and yet managing to stand against what used to be called the most uh, powerful uh, army in the Middle East that was humiliated on the 7th of October and continued to be so in Gaza every single day. Right. Um, let's move on to uh, Omar for a moment. Omar, do you think that the U.S. has a clear plan as to where this war is heading? And I'm not here asking you about the day after what happens to Gaza. I'm asking about the actual war on the ground. Do you think that the U.S. wants to see a temporary ceasefire, a permanent ceasefire? Is, is there a strategy? Well, it's made pretty clear that it uh, is uninterested in a ceasefire from its behavior at the UN Security Council in terms of vetoing and delaying uh, UN Security Council resolutions, which would have a legal, legally binding uh, effect. Um, at the same time, you know, obviously the U.S. is is making statements. I don't know if it's paying lip service to the civilian casualties in the way that Israel is conducting the war. Now, it's hard to say if that's genuine concern, if it's posturing while, you know, playing interference, running interference for the Israelis, whether this is some kind of schizophrenic policy in terms of, you know, Biden in, in terms of all-out support for Israel, while others in his administration are wavering on that front. Uh, it's hard to say. But, you know, the U.S., uh, when it, where it matters, where it counts, is arming the Israelis, it's financing the Israelis, it's providing support for the Israelis on the ground, uh, as well as uh, within the United Nations. That's important. And it's, it's really hard to understand, you know, the benefit for the United States. I think in every possible way, this is a disaster uh, for the United States in terms of its national interests, in terms of its international standing, uh, even domestically. I mean, if you could make the argument that domestically this was helping Biden, that would be one thing. But his support is at its lowest possible. Uh, and, and, and several polls are showing that that is also even tied to his, uh, his response uh, to what's happening in Gaza. So on every front, uh, this, is a, this is a problem for the United States, and yet uh, it is continuing to, to carry on along this path and support Israel. Um, and that is, that is very problematic. Miko, do you, th do you think that the U.S. and other allies who are still supporting Israel have any leverage over the Israeli Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, at this point? Or, or does he have their backing regardless of what he does and how he conducts this war? Well, the answer is yes to both. I mean, they, he does have their support right now, of course, um, because this is Israel, and Israel has always had the support of, the, of its allies 110%. Again, going back historically, the genocide of, of, of the Palestinian people going back 75 years, you know, nobody's ever stood in Israel's way. Um, they have leverage. Of course they have leverage. They could stop this tomorrow. They could dismantle. They could bring to the, the complete dismantling of the, the apartheid state tomorrow and then the creation of a free democratic Palestine from the river to the sea. They could have eliminated, they could, they could have prevented all these tens of thousands of horrific deaths of Palestinians in Gaza over the last uh, couple of months. So, of course, they have leverage. They do have leverage. The question, the thing is, they're not using their leverage rather than using their leverage. And I agree, this is strategically, this is, this is a huge blunder because. Why uh, do you think that they're not using their leverage at this point? 
Because there's no reason to. I mean, there's no the public opinion is not pressuring the elected politicians to do so. There's a tradition in the United States and in the West of supporting Israel, a tradition that goes back a very long time and is the result of a great deal of effort by the various Zionist groups that, that exist that operate in the West. So, so supporting Israel is something that comes naturally. It's not even something people have to talk, think about because it is so so entrenched in 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 the culture and the thinking in the West that we must support Israel. And so the, there's no real deep strategic thinking going into this. It's almost reflexive, I think. Um, and so the, the, there, it's, unless there's some serious pressure by constituents that will force elected officials to stand up and end the apartheid state and end this genocide and end this massive brutality against the Palestinian people, there's no reason to expect they will use their leverage because again, this is part of, this is how business is done. There's nobody disrupting the business as usual of supporting Israel. There's nobody standing up there and presenting the case for Palestine, if you will. Right. It, it doesn't exist. There's no counterparts to the Israeli efforts, to the Israeli lobbies, to the various Israeli groups that operate in, in you know, all over, all over the United States and certainly in, in Europe. So right. until such time that such you know, a presence exists, there's no reason to expect the United States or the West would use their leverage against Israel. Um, Elijah, uh, look, it's been described uh, as, as a genocide, what's going on in Gaza by uh, UN human rights experts. Uh, but still, as Mika was just saying, uh, the US not using its leverage on Israel to stop this war. Are the Israelis actually achieving any of their strategic military objectives that they set out to do? What they have announced they will never achieve, but what they did not announce, they are trying to achieve it. So they said we will defeat Hamas and free all the hostages and the prisoners and the captives, whatever. So they understood they cannot release anyone without negotiation. So that objective is not going to be achieved. And they are asking uh, Qatar to uh, uh, mediate for the release of the prisoners and to uh, eliminate Hamas, uh, former Prime Minister Ehud Barak said Hamas is an ideology cannot be defeated. This is why the Israelis are doing something completely different that are destroying Gaza. So they are making sure that no, no people, no Palestinian uh, Christian or Muslim will ever return to the north, at least this is where they are at at the moment and they have destroyed all that part. Now, this is where everybody is looking at what's happening there and the behavior of the resistance, if it is still on the same pace, because nobody wants to disturb the Palestinian cause and all the people who are supporting Gaza and supporting the Palestinian resistance to defend themselves are making sure that the war is not turning between Israel and Iran or Israel and Hezbollah or Israel and the Iraqis. This is why there is a very strong focus on what's happening in Gaza and how far the Israelis are going to continue the destruction and the killing of the children and women. But how delicate is the situation, Elijah? So, the, you know, that turning point that could turn between with the Iraqis or with Hezbollah in Lebanon or with the Houthis in Yemen, how delicate is it at this point? It is extremely delicate because the Palestinian cause should not be diverted, of course, otherwise it will lose the support of the population worldwide. So far, who is supporting Israel is only the United States and Britain abstained to vote in favor of no ceasefire 
Therefore, the rest of the world doesn't stand with Israel. However, it is important not to create a, a conflict between Iran and Israel or Hezbollah and Israel, but in the name of Gaza, in the name of the children and women in Gaza. This is exactly what Ansarullah in Yemen have done. And this is why they limited their action only to lift the siege on Gaza. So they're not fighting in the name of Iran. They're not fighting in the name of whatever proxies anyone would like to call them. They're fighting in the name of the Palestinian civilians who are murdered every single day in Gaza by the Israelis. All right, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. Thanks to my guests, Omar Rahman, Miko Pellet, and Elijah Magnier. This episode was produced by Dermot Fleming, Carl Legg, Abla Kla, and Gemma Harris. Studio sound was by Alexander Chigreen. The program was edited by Alexander Otisovich, Lynn Guyen, Vanessa Connelly, and Joe DeFrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. Tune in on Friday for our next edition. Coming up on The Take, we're looking at some of the stories that define 2023. From drones in Ukraine to the rise of chat GPT. That's The Take from Al Jazeera. Find it wherever you get your podcasts.